Good morning. Good to see you here, as well as everybody on our live stream that are going to be joining us today. My name is Cody Shepard. I'm the student pastor here, and I'm very blessed to be able to to speak with you this morning. Abraham Lincoln had a quote, which I I like and uh, I can relate to. He said that the Lord made, um, the Lord prefers common looking people because he made so many of them. And I, I agree with that. Um, a group of elementary age kids had a, had a project, that they were an assignment, where they were supposed to name one of the major functions of skin. And one kid wrote down to make, uh, so that people, sorry, to, to keep people who look at you from throwing up. One of the, which is, that is a good, good function. Today we're, uh, we're going to be talking about beauty. Uh, when I say beauty, what's the first thing that you think of? If you have a spouse, you should very quickly say your spouse's name. That is the appropriate answer. Uh, but what else do you think of? Uh, maybe you think of uh, people who are famous for their beauty. Maybe you think of uh, some sort of landscape. Maybe it's the, the majestic Rocky Mountains. How many of you would say the Rocky Mountains are something that you think of as just gorgeous, they're beautiful? Maybe it's a beach somewhere with, uh, yeah, that was a quick one, a beach where you have the nice, pristine waters, blue crystal waters, you know, coming on shore with a, a beach, a nice sandy beach. Maybe nobody else at that beach would be great. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. Maybe it's a, a, some sort of a prairie with uh, wheat and, and just the wind blowing on it. I, I don't know what it is, but you see what most people immediately think about when we talk about beauty is something that fits into a certain standard, something, that, uh, or, something or someone that uh, shows a certain pristine condition that we enjoy. Yet what I find amazing about God's upside-down kingdom is that his vision of beauty sometimes begins in the brokenness of our lives. It is what God does with and through our brokenness that really shows true beauty. C. Joy Bell C. uh, has this this quote. Uh, She says, A broken soul is not the absence of beauty, but a cracked and torn soul reeks of the sweet incense it contains. In other words, true beauty is not shown on what is displayed on the outside, but what is revealed through our cracks. I'd like to get a look at, at more about this. We're going to look at a character named Mephibosheth. I know Lori has talked about Mephibosheth in the past. I think he's such a fascinating character. And so we're going to be looking in the Old Testament, and you can turn to 2 Samuel 4 uh, for, this, for this scripture. And you can also follow along on the screen if you would like. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. We have here, uh, we're going to be talking, I mean, it's Saul, was the first king of Israel, and his son was Jonathan, and so that kind of leads into what we're talking about here. Saul, son of Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard of the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. So right here already, we see a few things about Mephibosheth. First off, he was created royal. He was in the lineage of kings. Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, Then you have Jonathan, who was next in line, who never actually became, became king because he and Saul both died in the same battle. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. He was the grandson of the first king, Saul. 
So that's the first thing we see about Mephibosheth is he was created royal. But we also see that when the other two, Jonathan and Saul, died, that David actually becomes king. And what normally happened in in cultures at this time is in order for to uh, kind of um, solidify their power, the new king would come in and and kind of basically kill off the old regime so as to solidify their power. So when Mephibosheth was five years old, this happens. And the nurse is nervous, she's scared, and she immediately get, tries to get Mephibosheth out of the palace. And in the process, ends up dropping him and crippling him. And so in essence, in a few, just a few days' time, Mephibosheth, according to the views held at the time, went from being heir apparent to being a cripple, a political outcast, a spiritual outcast, and one who had no ability to change his circumstances on his own. And especially in that culture, then, I mean, uh, they didn't have the opportunities for wheelchair or anything else, so Mephibosheth totally relied on the people around him, um, really not having a ton of freedom in and of himself. And however, he was more than just broken physically. He was broken relationally, and he was broken emotionally. Needless to say, the caretakers of, of Mephibosheth got him away, uh, took him onto the, uh, an area outside of Israel as far away from, from David as they could. And let's be honest, have you ever felt that way yourself? Something happens in your life that it just, you feel crippled. It may be a circumstance in your family. Maybe a family member dies, maybe a job change. I mean, I could go on and on on different things that could happen. But what it does is it, it makes us feel crippled. It makes us feel alone. And, and it makes us feel like maybe God is angry with us and we try to get as far away from him as we can, much like Jonah did in the Old Testament. But here's the thing is, is it doesn't stop there. Let's look in Second Samuel chapter 9. We'll start off with verse 3. And this is David talking here. It's, or it says, that when it's talking about the king, it's talking about David. The king asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked him. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, At the son of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. So he was found. Mephibosheth was found. David sought him. He went to go find him. And it wasn't by accident. It was by intention. But he went and he found him. He asks around and finds out that that Mephibosheth is out there. And it also mentions here in a little bit that Mephibosheth was afraid. I, I can understand that. Uh, have you ever been pointed out for something? I mean, you don't, he, he doesn't know that he's not going to be killed. And when I was in high school, I played football. And whenever I, uh, my coach sought me out, it usually wasn't for something amazing that I did. It was usually to let me know something I had made a mistake on. Mephibosheth here had an obvious physical condition. He was part of an old regime. And I'm sure he was used to being pointed out, but never in a good, for a good purpose. And, and I'm sure some of you can relate to that, what it might be like to be pointed out for things that not, are not exciting to, to be pointed out for. Um, but here, what, what I love is what David does after this. Let's continue reading here in first, first Samuel chapter, or 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So what we see here is that David finds Mephibosheth but then he also gives him a glorious inheritance. And the beautiful thing here is it's not because of anything that Mephibosheth himself has done. It is because of a covenant that he has made with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. You see, they were close friends. If we look back in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan actually asked David in an exchange. He says, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And then in verse 16 and 17, it says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as himself. It's a beautiful thing that we see here, is that love between David and Jonathan and because of this, because of a covenant that was made with Jonathan, David honors this, seeks out Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is able to, be, uh, to sit at the king's table. It's an amazing thing that uh, it reads there that, that, David, or that Mephibosheth actually comes, he is, lives in the palace, and he comes to the table, eats at the table of David. Thereby, really, David is adopting him as one of his own sons. Isn't that a beautiful image that we see here? And, and he has... Oh, that's okay. I can do that. It's supposed to be there. I hear that. Is that good? I'll try to. No, you're fine. Does this work? Testing. Does that work? Perfect. Good. Sorry about that. So here's the question. How do we see ourselves uh, in reference to Mephibosheth? Do we, do we see ourselves better than broken? Do we see ourselves less than royal? Do we see ourselves as different than Mephibosheth? The amazing thing here is, honestly, Mephibosheth's story is really very similar to the story of God's people. It really is. The beautiful thing here is we see that we also have been created royal. God is our Father. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. The, God of the, the very God of the universe has knit us together. And not only that, but He has paid the price for us with His own blood. It's an amazing thing. Not only have we been created royal, but we also have been crippled and fallen from glory. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
David himself in Scripture, mentioned by God as a man after his own heart, yet he still made him, uh, he still sinned and fell and, and was, not, uh, was not perfect by any means. Even Paul himself says in Romans 7.15 when talking, saying he's been praying that God would take an affliction, a physical affliction from him. He says, I don't really understand my, or sorry, this is, uh, that's a little bit later I'm going to mention. But he says, I don't really understand myself for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I can relate to that sometimes. So we also have been created royal. We've been crippled and fallen from glory, but we also have been found. Jesus himself has searched for us and he has found us. Much like a parable that we see in the New Testament of, of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one gets lost and he leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds the one. Jesus also comes and finds us. In fact, that's the very reason he came to earth. Jesus came to earth broken as we are to give us something better. But he doesn't stop there. He, he gives us a royal inheritance, a glorious inheritance, because of a covenant, a covenant of love. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of a covenant that is made with somebody else, because of somebody else. Jonathan made a covenant with David, and even though he didn't get the reward of that, his son did. Jesus makes the same deal with us in Romans six, or sorry, Romans eight, sixteen through seventeen. It says this for his son, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are also his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we are we must also share in his suffering. So fast forward three thousand years from David and, and Jonathan and Mephibosheth. And what is, what is our response as a church? Not just us personally, but what is our response as a church? We live in a world that, that tells us lies. And honestly, we like to buy into those lies. Lies such as, you know what, you're a great person. You, you're just perfect in how you are. You deserve the things that you want, all those things. We surround ourselves with some of these things that we like to, and we like to insulate ourselves from the harsh realities of life. And here, can I be honest with you? We're not enough. I'd like to say that we are. We're not perfect. We don't deserve what everything that we want. Left to our alone, we are crippled. And that's why God sent His Son, but He also sent the church. The church is important in this. We need each other. We need to support each other. If we're really honest, our beauty, our value, our righteousness, our salvation... Are not, they don't originate from us anyway. Our source of value and beauty and righteousness come from a price that was paid by the blood of Christ that He put on us. And because of that, we hold high value, but not because of us. Without that redemption, of our, without that redemption from sin, our selfish ambition has left us crippled. What then, may I ask you, do you feel like sometimes, I don't know, I, I catch myself doing this where I come to church or, or just in my daily relationships try to look more perfect than I am? Why do we do this? I mean, do you, if you're honest, do you ever find yourself doing this, trying to put up some sort of facade or a mask, looking like I've got things more together than I really do? Why do we do this? Because it's easier. It really is. It's easier. There's something messy and uncomfortable about really wrestling with life and with reality. And, and to be honest about what we're struggling with, and, and if we're really honest, we a lot of times tend to lie to ourselves about it as well. We don't like to really deal 
with our brokenness and we see it as disgusting and so we don't want other people to see that. But the amazing thing that that God does in his upside down kingdom is he shows beauty in the midst of our broken lives. It is precisely in those things that we are able to see Christ's work in us. It's not that the beauty, that, that brokenness is the beauty, it's what God does in that brokenness. We all need each other. The church is here to, to glorify what God is doing in our lives, both personally and corporately. We see this over and over in Scripture. That's one of the amazing things about Scripture is it's not a whole bunch of perfect stories. It's imperfect people that are restored and redeemed by, by God's plan. And it's a beautiful thing. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, this is where Paul says uh, he, he has a, a, an issue that he keeps praying to God about that he would remove. And, and, and it says here, each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, beauty is much like art itself. It's not really that uh, which is, it's not always that which is pretty per se. It's what really challenges the mind and emotion that makes things beautiful. Our life's purpose is not becoming perfect art, but instead a broken one showing God's work in and through us. It's meant to to allow God to paint a portrait, a a mosaic of his work in his people. It's a beautiful thing. So how do we live this out? How do we we make this uh, evident to people who are around us? What we need to do is embrace the reality of God's power and what he's doing and embrace our testimony, the story that he is building in us and through the church. And that appeared in a newspaper that once read, Farmer wants to marry woman 35 with tractor. Send picture of tractor. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, sometimes many people look at the church that way. They think that what, what the church is doing is wanting them just for what they can bring to the table, not really themselves, whether it's money, time, numbers, or whatever. But what people want is a place to belong and be included. And I think that we do a great job of that here. I really do. But I, it's, it's just a continual challenge of what can we be doing? What can we continue to do? And how can we continue to hopefully change the perceptions of what people think about the church? Not here, not just here, but as we're out in everyday life. We must continue to be a place where crippled people are continually invited to the table of the king. We must be like David, intentionally seeking out people to bring to the table, being honest about our own mistakes, allowing others to bring direction into our lives, and continuing to come to the Father with our questions and our emotions. Will Rogers, uh, many of you have heard of him, I'm sure. He's uh, uh, maybe some of the younger students probably haven't heard of him, but uh, he's a guy who was really known for his laughter, but he also knew how to weep. One day he was entertaining at the Milton H. Berry Institute in Los Angeles, a hospital that specialized in rehabilitating polio victims and people with broken backs and other extreme physical handicaps. And of course, Rogers had everybody laughing, and in the middle of this, all of a sudden, he rushed off stage. And Milton Berry thought he would take him a towel, and he tracked him down and found him in the bathroom. And he opened the door to give him the towel, and he saw Will Rogers leaned up against the wall, sobbing like a child. He closed the door, and in a few minutes, all of a sudden, Rogers was back up on the stage uh, as jovial as before. If you want to know what a person is really like, ask three questions. What makes him laugh? What makes him angry? And what makes him weep? I think this is a really good test of some character. 
What do we find joy in? What breaks our hearts? Here's a a quick personal inventory that the body of Christ, the church body, can say. Are we afraid of brokenness? Are we afraid to let people in? Are we afraid to invest in other people? Are we afraid to allow others to invest in us? How well do you know the person that's around you, next to you, in front of you? If you haven't gotten a chance to get to know them, do so. That's a beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that we get to know each other and we don't have to be perfect. One of the main components and purposes of the church is to run this race together. In keeping, keeping the course, uh, keeping challenging, encouraging each other on this race, I'm going to be showing a video here. And, and actually, for those that are on live stream, uh, we aren't able to show it. We have permission from ESPN to show this video. It's about eight to nine minutes long. But it's so perfect, I think, in kind of giving an example of, of this story of what God is doing, uh, God wants to do, and it's an example, an illustration. Um, it's about a, a boy, a high school senior named Ben Komen, and the video will not have the best graphics. It was made a while ago in, in standard definition, so we're not going to have high, high definition. If you are on the live stream, uh, on the same page as this, as this stream, right above, you can click on a link that will take you there as well. Uh, and so I encourage you to do that. Uh, you can close the browser um, as, soon as, as soon as we're done here. Um, so I encourage you to do this. Uh, what I like about this video is a few things. I feel like it shows the encouragement of, of, of people in, in helping Ben Komen in, in his, his struggles, and they, they actually come back and run with him. I also love the visual, the idea that, um, that Ben himself is not able to win the race, but because of his team, he still is on a winning team. And those are a few things that I think are beautiful things. And, and, and to say that Ben didn't play a part in the winning of the team, it would be a, a, a incorrect, I would say. Because I would say most of the heart of what happens, of why they win, is because of who Ben is. And so um, as you're watching this video, just think about some, maybe some of the connections you can make with maybe what, in part, the church is really about and how we can encourage each other. I normally don't show, wouldn't show a long video like that, but I just, I think, I don't know, when I... I just think it's a great image of what the church is like. Um, you know, just coming alongside each other, uh, running alongside each other, encouraging, cheering each other on, and ultimately having a place where we belong, a place where we can say is our own, a place where we're needed and wanted and God uh, speaks to us and allows us to be a part of the body. And so hopefully you took some things from that. And my encouragement to you is, is to continue to, to be a part of the church body uh, for all the challenges that it is just being here, here, being with each other relationally, but not only here, but, you know, to continue to, to, to reach out and know that this isn't a place for perfect people. It's a place for broken people who are figuring it out because of each other and because we serve an awesome God who, who loves us. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for coming and living among us for you living a perfect life and showing us the way and for placing a value on us because of the blood that you shed. Lord, I I, I pray that we um, understand how valuable we are because of that. Lord, that we encourage each other, that we take joy in each other, and that we always have our minds, our, our eyes set to others who we can come and run along beside 
and encourage them and, and hopefully continue to make sure they're running the right race. Lord, help us and, and help us to receive that encouragement from others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.